want to start out with a, a section from Jim Collins. He he wrote a book called uh, Level Five. Well, about Level Five leadership, and it's called Good to Great. And you know, you may have read it. But this is an excerpt from that. And the question is, can you grow into level five leadership? And before I start out with it, I just want to say, you know, there's a lot of work on leadership in the body of Christ. And, and that's not necessarily where I'm going with this, but uh, just hear, hear this out and you'll see uh, as we unpack this uh, podcast today. Not long ago, uh, I shared the level five finding with a gathering of senior executives A woman who had recently become chief executive of her company raised her hand and said, I believe what you say about uh, about the good to great leaders, but I'm disturbed because when I look in the mirror, I know that I'm not level five. We're not yet anyway. Part of the reason I got this job is because my ego drives me. And are you telling me that I can't make this a great company if I'm not a level five? I don't know for certain that you absolutely must be a level five leader to make your company great, I replied. We'll simply point back to the data. Of the 1,435 companies that appeared on the Fortune 500 in our initial candidate list, only 11 made the very tough cut into our study. In those 11, all of them had level five leadership in key positions, including the CEO at the pivotal time of transition. She sat there um, quiet for a moment, and you could tell everyone in the room was mentally urging her to ask the question. And finally, she said, can you learn to become level five? Collins goes on to say, my hypothesis is that there are two categories of people. Um, those who do not have the seed of level five and those who do. The first category consists of people who can never in a million years bring themselves to subjugate their egoistic needs to the greater ambition of building something larger and more lasting than themselves. For these people, work will always be first and foremost about what they get. Fame, fortune, adulation, power, whatever it is, not what they build, create and contribute to. The great irony is that the animus and personal ambition that often drive people to positions of power stands at odds with the humility required for a level five leader. And when you combine that irony with the fact that the boards of directors frequently operate under the false belief that they need to hire a larger than life egocentric leader to make an organization great, you can quickly see why level five leaders rarely appear at the top of our institutions. The second category of people, and I suspect a larger group, consists of those who have the potential to evolve to level five. The capability resides within them. Perhaps it's buried or ignored, but they're nonetheless, and under the right circumstances, self-reflection, Conscious personal development, a mentor, a great teacher, loving parents, a significant life experience, a level five boss, or any number of other factors uh, they begin to develop. And looking at the data, some of the leaders in our study had significant life experiences that might have sparked or furthered their maturation. Darwin Smith fully blossomed after his experience with cancer. Joe Coleman was profoundly affected by his World War II experiences, particularly the last-minute change of orders that took him off a doomed ship 
on which he surely would have died. A strong religious belief for conversion might also nurture development of level five traits. Coleman Mockler, for example, converted to evangelical Christianity while getting his MBA at Harvard and later, according to the book Cutting Edge, became a prime mover in a group of Boston business executives who met frequently over breakfast to discuss the carryover of religious values to corporate life. Other leaders in our study, however, had no obvious catalytic event. They just led normal lives and somehow ended up atop the level five hierarchy. Collins goes on to say again, I believe that although I cannot prove that potential level five leaders are highly prevalent in our society, the problem is not, in my estimation, a dearth of potential level five leaders. They exist all around us. If we just know what to look for, and the question is, what is that? Look for situations where extraordinary results exist, but where no individual steps forth to claim excess credit, you will likely find a potential level five leader at work. For your own development, I would love to be able to give you a list of steps for becoming level five, but we have no solid research data that would support a credible list. Our research exposed level five as a key component inside the black box of what it takes to shift a company from good to great. Yet inside that black box is yet another black box, namely the inner development of a person to level five. We could speculate on what might be inside that inner black box, but it would be mostly just that speculation. So in short, level five is a very satisfying idea, a powerful idea, and to produce the best transitions from good to great, perhaps an essential idea, a 10-step list of level five would trivialize the concept. My best advice, based on the research, is to begin practicing the other good to great disciplines we discovered. We found a symbiotic relationship between level five and the remaining findings. On the one hand, level five traits enable you to implement the other findings. On the other hand, practicing the other findings helps you to become level five. Think of it this way. This chapter is about what level fives are. The rest of the book describes what they do. Leading with the other dis- disciplines can help you move in the right direction. There's no guarantee that doing so will turn you into a full-fledged level five, but it gives you a tangible place to begin. We cannot say for sure what percentage of people have the seed within or how many of those can m- nurture it. Even those of us who discover level five on the research team do not know for ourselves whether we will succeed in fully evolving to level five. And yet, all of us who worked on the finding have been deeply affected and inspired by the idea. Darwin Smith, Coleman Mockler, Alan Wurzel, and all the other level fives we learned about have become models for us, something worthy to aspire toward. Whether or not we make it all the way to level five, it is worth the effort. For like all basic truths about what is best in human beings, when we catch a glimpse of that truth, we know that our own lives and all that we touch will be the better for the effort. So years ago, I read this uh, section, this excerpt, this in good to great. And I was really found it fascinating because what he introduces as a level five leadership, basically, and just make this really simple, is uh, the characteristic of humility that they found in the top 11 leaders that they basically took a company 
from you know marginal success and it just all of a sudden at this pivotal point which he analyzed like scientifically they found that the company just went off the rock off the scales and i mean just they just had tremendous growth out of that um experience uh and and research and analysis they found this and they were surprised that these ceos that were over these organizations always exhibited these two primary qualities, one of them being humility. And the second one was the willingness to do the little task every day. And, uh, you know, I invite you to read the book and I'm putting it on the detail section of this podcast. When I looked down to read it, I, when I got to this part and I'm just going to go over it again, it said, our research exposed level five as a key component inside the black box of what it takes to shift a company from good to great Yet inside the black box is yet another black box, namely the inner development of a person to level five. Now, I remember reading that and the Holy Spirit, he just spoke to me and he says, do you know that what I give you? And, and yes, it goes beyond what they call level five, because, you know, what we're dealing with here is going to full glorification of man. However, what I've actually revealed to you is the other black box. And so today's title of this podcast is Black Widow Box. And I want to uh, unpack uh, what happened back in 2009 when uh, this this reality, uh, you know, came to me in a very uh, serious situation in our family's life. Before I do that, I want to go to Isaiah chapter six and, and read this to you, starting in verse nine. Isaiah saying, and and he replied, go say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds and turn back and be healed. Then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump. When failed, the holy seed is in the stump. I'm sure that you are mindful of what happened in our country in 08 and we had this like crisis happen probably maybe more than what had even happened back in the great depression and we are left many of us and i you know i'm sure many of you listen to this you were probably greatly affected financially even through that 08 market situation some people lost their houses a lot of people did and lost their uh, wealth i know the construction company that i was in at the time that was leading uh, my contracts ended because the uh, those who were wanting commercial work done and things, they said, you know, we have to uh, pull out now because the bank's pulling out on the loans. And so I think many of us went through a difficult place. And and when you read in Isaiah here, you, you say, he, he says, hey, when, Lord, when are you going to open up our minds and our hearts to heal and be healed again? And he says, well, it won't happen until the cities lie in ruins without inhabitants and houses are without people. And the land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. But I'm going to leave a tenth and then that tenth is going to go through the fire. 
And then out of that fire, I'm going to bring down uh, the oak and bring towards a stump because I'm going to bring forth a seed. And so, you know, back to back to this moment, you know, Collins is saying, hey, we know that there's a seed, but we don't know who has it. Uh, he said, it's ironic. Some people have this seed and some people don't. And he says, there's, there's two different categories of people. And w- one of the problems is, is for the people who don't have the seed, they're really always after fame, fortune, adulation, power, and whatever, whatever they can get. But it's not the willingness to build, create, and bring a contribution. But there is this second group of people, and I, I just want to be forthright that I believe the seed is the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just, I believe that's the seed that is there. Now, I've already told some of this story, but you know, my family and I back in '04 was called up to this desolate, really just desolate mountain in the middle of Saluda, North Carolina, you know, the one bedroom house, and this is getting into '09 now, and we've been living there. And we're doing uh, some remodeling in the winter, and it was, it was really cold. And in this remodeling time, our, all the uh, uh, the winter comes, and it's it's, a, it's a December, and uh, the snow falls. And Kira is uh, pregnant with our son Manasseh Daniel, and up where we live, we're like a mile off road, and so when the snow comes we can't get off that road unless you have heavy duty like four-wheel drive vehicles and things and at this point in our life we just have a a minivan and we have a tractor and my brother-in-law eric spence and my sister jessica and my parents are living on the mountain and we're in the middle of our house is kind of opened up to the elements and so we've had to put up blankets on the walls and we're trying to stay warm and Eric's helping a lot with this, but our our pipes freeze and we have no running water and we have no electricity and we're heating out of a wood stove. And I I can't, like, I don't even think in this podcast I can explain the level of irritation that I have after being in this kind of situation. It's almost like we're in the middle of some third world country and we're right here in the United States of America going through a trial like this. Uh, out of just, you know, obedience to the Lord. Uh, and so uh, bringing up five-gallon water buckets uh, from the well to flush the toilets and some of the paneling, we've been taking it off the walls and we're putting it in our fireplace and, and splitting wood and things uh, to stay warm. And I, I remember going and taking my tractor and hooking it up in my van trying to pull it, uh, standing the tractor up on end, trying to pull it through the snow I was so frustrated because Kara is about to give birth. We've had to put our bed in the living room. And uh, we have, at this point, we have three girls and they're just running around with us. And we're try- we're all in this space. It's, I guess it's about, about 15 feet by maybe 30 feet space. And it is just almost, you know, unreasonably unbearable for us. And and I'm in the middle of, uh, you know, working on a master's degree. Uh, we've, we're just finding out about MZ Hop at this point and are receiving that out of prayer. And I remember I, I went up, there's another house that's on our land that's it's an unfinished house. I went up on the second floor of that house and got up there and I was just screaming and yelling at God and telling him I just couldn't take anymore. I just sort of burst into tears and 
I don't know if you ever felt like you've come to your extremity before, but that is not a pretty sight, you know, when you get to a place like that. And I was not, I was a wreck, you know, I was, I was just upset. God, why did you put us in a situation like this? And, and it was just more pressure than, uh, you know, what I thought I could deal with. And of course, all during this time, not understand the wisdom of God in this because that there's this moment that we come to in life that, that the Lord really wants to intervene. And I don't know what it is, but it's, it almost seems like unless you're just put in complete desolation and just like a wilderness or whatever, at least for me, you know, it's like it required that kind of situation apparently for um, where God could get my attention. Uh, and I go to sit at this little wooden desk. It sits in our living room. It's right at the bed and I you know I just put my head down there and I'm just exhausted from everything and the the Lord speaks to me and I I would say it's more like an internal audible voice but he says I'm going to awaken a galactic progeny and you know I'm like what what in the world does that mean you know you're going to awaken a galactic progeny yeah I'm going to awaken a galactic progeny and uh, he tells me to open up to Second Kings four, and so I, you know, I open up to this section and I go to Second uh, Kings four, starting in verse eight, and he says, "It says in there, and there was this great woman, who was from Shunem, and you can read it. I'm not going to do that today, but it, he goes on to take it from Second Kings four, verse eight, on to the end, and it's this story of this lady and." making a little place for a prophet. And then he comes to her and then he, he says, by this time next year, you're going to give birth to a son. Then that son that, that she has ends up dying. And then the son, there's an attempt to raise that son from the dead with a staff. And then there's a face-to-face encounter. And then she takes up her son. And this is basically the completion of that story. And the Holy Spirit just downloads this whole, out of that Second Kings 4, the galactic progeny right into my spirit within, I don't know, 30 seconds. And if you've ever received like, like a lot of material at one time, this is what happens in that moment. It was like, it was like, well, literally what happened in that moment is I received the black box of the black box. In this podcast series, you know, you're going to hear 33 different stories of an expansion upon what's called phase double O uh, to prepare you for the 12 phases in this series. And maybe if you've looked at it, there's a phase triple O called the Trinity option. And then there's a phase uh, double O, which I'm dealing with right now in these 33 stories. They're the personal stories of this awakening. And phase O, we're going to get into core concepts called the final frontier. And then there's 12 phases after that. In these 12 phases, literally is the interior of the black box of the black box that Collins is talking about. And it's, it's the, basically the human development of the soul. And so in this moment, I received this whole revelation and I really am struck by that. And, you know, it's not until just recently that I'm starting to understand uh, maybe what God was doing in that in that moment, but um, sometime later in 2011, He gave me the the titles and He said to call them phases, and there's 12 phases. And 
the first phase is is called um, oil factory. Uh, the second phase is prototype shulamite, and the third phase is building a philanthropic base. And I'm not going to go through all of that right now, but it's the 12 phases of human development. Uh, it is the uh, black box within the black box. Well, uh, my task today with you in this podcast is basically to help you to understand how not to impede your development in regards to your relation with God. Um, I think you can hear from good to great and what Mr. Collins is saying that, man, there's this way to develop and and maybe I could interest you in your own um, development. And so what the Lord has uh, given me today to, to share with you is some different kind of stories that I hope that can help you to, to see. Uh, the mechanism for human development involves the mundane. It involves being invited into the place of not someone looking at you and promoting you, but a place of humility where you're where you're not seen. You know, it may be uh, that you're a mother and, and that you're at home and, and you're taking care of your children and no one knows how many uh, diapers you've changed and how much laundry you've done or, you know, how many floors you've swept. Or maybe you're a dad uh, and you're going to work every day and you're, and you're alone in that and you're going out and you're uh, providing for your family. You know, maybe you're, you know, you're single and you're involved in, in uh, friendships and relationships, and, but you're doing something no one else sees. And there's a, there's this book that I've, you know, found out about, and it's called um, Carrying Water, Carry Water, Chop Wood. And the story goes like this, that this, this man, he, he, wanted to be, he wanted to train to be a samurai archer. And his little brother, while, he, while they were young, he gets hurt really bad. And so he decides that he's going to go, and for his little brother, he's going to train as a samurai archer. And so he's got to go over to Asia to study under samurai. And when he gets over there, uh, the things that they tell him to do is to carry water, chop wood. So he, he went on doing this for about, I guess, about uh, a little over a year. And he goes to the samurai and he says, um, uh, you know, I've really got proficient with my ability to be an archer. And I think I'm ready. And he said, how much longer do you think it's going to take for me to uh, develop into, into samurai? And the samurai you know, looks at him, his sensei looks at him and tells him, uh, it's going to take you 10 years. And I, I don't know if you've ever like carried water and chopped wood. I certainly have. And we were doing that in, in this story of 09, you know, chopping wood and carrying water. And I couldn't see the wisdom of it at the time. I'm just all blasted, offended with the Lord and everything. Uh, this mundane task, well, you got this great thing you're going to do and or that you said that you're going to do. And, you know, we're up here freezing, trying to get wood in and water in. And it just seems like the most opposite direction to what God would want to do. And, well, anyways, he says, well, he says to a sensei, he says, well, I guess he's going to come back to him, you know, three or four months later. And he says to him, he says, you know, I really feel like that I'm ready to go. And the sensei says to him, you know, how much longer is it going to take me? And he says, well, it's going to take you uh, 10 more years. (laughs) 
So he's, well, man, frustrated, don't want to do that. I don't want to spend 10 years. He's like, he said the sensei, he said, well, what if I don't, you know, carry water and chop wood? How long is it going to take me? And he said, well, it'll take you 30 years. 30 years to master samurai, it'll take me 30 years if I don't carry water and chop wood for 10. And he's like, yeah, that's how long it'll take for you to master being samurai archer. I mean, let me help you out here. Let me just help you out. Because I feel like I'm, I wish somebody would have told me this, Henry. You know, I wish somebody would have come to me and said, embrace the mundane task. And embrace carrying water and chopping wood. Like, look at it with a place of joy. And one thing I admire about my my brother-in-law, Eric Spence, is I saw that joy in him. When he was up there helping me, he just, you know, he's so kind and he's helpful. And he's, it's almost like he, you know, he gets it. And he's, he's carrying those five, uh, five gallon buckets of water up in the, you know, in the house. And he's pouring the water through and, you know, we're getting wood together to stay warm and, and I'm sitting there just grieving myself because what kind of life is this guy? Don't you know I'm better than that? You know, don't you know it? Do you not know who I am? <laughs> Do you not know how amazing I am? And in the middle of this, a word's like, you know, I'm going to deliver some goods. Here's a seed of what I'm going to do one day. I'm going to awaken a galactic progeny. And, you know, I even at that moment in time, I, you know, I had no idea really the depth of what was going to unfold from that. When we had first got to the mountain, and I think this is an earlier podcast, but the word, you know, told me, said, you know, I want you, you see all these rocks, I want you to pick them up. And on our mountain, there's these clay rocks that are muddy and crumbly, and they're just the nastiest rock I've ever seen in my life. There's nothing attractive about them at all. There's no glistening. They're porous. They're soft. They're brittle. They don't, they basically don't accomplish a thing. And he's like, pick up all these rocks. And then there's all these trees around there, and these little sticks will break off. And he's like, I want you to pick them up. And, you know, I I remember, like, him saying, you know, pick up these sticks and rocks or sticks and stones. And uh, I want you to pick them up. And I I remember kicking the ground and kicking a stick and some rocks. And I, I told him, don't you know I can fly ILS approaches and PARs and I'm going through all my pr- approach procedures because I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm this technical guy. I love to push buttons. I'm into the tech, and you got me up here doing this, and I just, you know, I'm really mully grubbing about it. And it isn't till sometime later, I'm ten years later, because I got in this place where I just refused to pick pick up sticks and stones. And I'm sure you've heard the adage, you know, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt me. And, of course, there's nothing further from the truth because, you know, you come to find out that words have so much power. And I didn't know that God's saying, you know, I want you to do this for like a decade of picking up sticks and stones. And my pride won't allow me to do it. But after being humble for a period of years, I remember I was, I mean, I'm literally sitting out on the ground. I've got the kids all assigned because it's like, you know, you just got to get to, you got to get this thing done with, (laughs) So I'm trying to like, you know, you know, use my leadership skills to get the work done. Not knowing the whole time the father's like, no, I want you to do it. You're, you're the one that needs to, 
to do this, I was I was sitting out there picking up sticks and stones. I've got a two five-gallon buckets. One of them is for sticks, and one of them is for stones. And I'm putting them in, in there, and I get a call from a friend. And he says, Carol, I, I just want to tell you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for some things I've said to you, and I'm, I want to repair our relationship. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, you know, and I apologize to him for the things I'd said that were kind of misplaced. And, and I, I mean, I'm literally sitting, here I am, a grown man in my late 30s, sitting on the ground, picking up sticks and stones, thinking, isn't there something better I could do with my life? I mean, I have, you know, all these kids, and I got to take care of my family, and this is what you're telling me to do. It literally makes no sense. And then, you know, that phone, the phone rings with my friend. The word's like, do you see what I'm after here? And I'm like, no, I, I'm, I think I'm really dense. I don't really get it. He's like, well, I'm in repairing relationships. I'm into restoring Friendships. I'm into how you talk to somebody. I'm into how you speak. And he took me to Zechariah 13. And he says, you know, it says in there that the prophetic voices will no longer wear a hoary cloak or basically they will not utilize deception in their speech to gain something from others. And uh, he's like, he says, so what will the, the man say in Zechariah 13? I was like, well, he says, I'm, I'm no longer want to be called a prophet. I don't even want to be called a preacher. Don't even call me that. And he and he said, why? Because he says, because I'm no longer a preacher. I'm a husbandman. And that word there, it means I'm a tiller of the ground. And, you know, I was told by the Lord to go get a tiller and till up my ground out there and there's stumps and sticks sticking out of it and, you know, plant some grass and and pick up every single muddy rock that I saw. And I'm dumping five-gallon buckets. I'm, I'm taking a, a you know, fireman's axe to cut the roots out of the ground. I can't even describe to you how actually miserable doing this kind of thing is to me. Because I'm like, God, you got this great awakening that you're going to do. I mean, you're going to cause the restoration of man. You're going to glorify man. And you're telling me that the path to glorification is with a fireman's axe digging roots out with shovels and cutting them out of the ground and picking up muddy rocks. And I just want to share with you the wisdom of God because many of you are going to be listening to these 33 episodes and maybe, maybe, and I, I don't know, but maybe you're dealing with what I was dealing with is resisting the mundane every day. You're resisting the one little thing that you should do every day that no one else sees, that there's not a pat on the back for, because God's called you to build something and become something that is not based in fame and a celebrity personality and the latest tech and and trying to show yourself off and have the face in front of the cameras or be, be the person, to be the guy or the gal that's showing off in front of everybody. Maybe, maybe he's ordained a different path, you know, called the path of the cross. Maybe he's decided that, your prayers will be hidden. Maybe he's decided that that your life might look like to everybody else it's not going anywhere and you've been put on hold. And I I would suggest or think that really, I mean, honestly, that many of you probably have been shelved. That you probably feel like, why hasn't anybody even noticed me? 
And you're, you may be thinking, I'm just about ready to give up everything that God has said to me. And I just want to just like say, be of good cheer. Because I'm sure God probably isn't having you do sticks and stones and maybe, maybe he might be. I'd love to hear your story. If he has, please write us. Or maybe he's, maybe he doesn't have you, you know, uh, carrying water and chopping wood, but I can kind of, you know, guess that he probably has you doing something that where you're not being noticed <laughs> and that he's got this tremendous call on your life and and he says you're my own and you know that he gives you his presence, but you've been stuck in the middle of what appears to be failure or your whole life has been shelved. And I, I just want you to hear hear me today because you know, maybe he's told you to go serve some widows. Maybe he's told you to go give your life away to orphans. You know why he tells you to do that? Because they can't give you anything back normally. I mean, there, there's normally not a lot that you can get back. You deal with their sense of isolationism. You deal with their their just constant need to pull something out of you. And I, I really want to encourage you that this is the path. Um, I got this. Uh, I want to read to you. It comes from... And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, but it comes from Star Wars Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back. And this is Luke Skywalker talking with Yoda. And Luke Skywalker says, look, I'm sure it's delicious. I just don't understand why we can't see Yoda now. And and Yoda uh, says, patience for the Jedi. uh, For the Jedi, it is time to eat as well. Eat, eat. Hot, good food. Mm, Good. Mm." And Luke Skywalker says, how far away is Yoda? Will it take us long to get there? And Yoda says, not far, not far. Yoda, not far. Patience. Soon you will be with him. Root leaf I cook. Why wish you become Jedi? Luke Skywalker says, well, mostly because of my father, I guess. Yoda says, oh, father. Powerful Jedi was he. Powerful Jedi. Luke Skywalker says, oh, come on. How, how could you know who my father, my father, you don't even know who I am. Oh, I don't even know what I'm doing here, and we're wasting our time. And Yoda sighs and looks up, and he says, I cannot teach him. This boy has no patience. And Yoda says, much anger in him. The boy has no patience. Obi-Wan Kenobi says, coming out of nowhere, he says, he will learn patience. And Yoda says, much anger in him like his father. Obi-Wan Kenobi says, was I any different when you taught me? And Yoda said, he is not ready. Luke Skywalker says, Yoda, I am ready. I, I've been, I, I can be a Jedi. Ben, tell him I'm ready. And then all of a sudden he hears this bang, his head on a low ceiling. Ow. And, and Yoda says, ready are you? What know you of ready? For 800 years have I trained Jedi. My own counsel will I keep on who is to be trained. A Jedi must have the deepest commitment, the most serious mind. This one, a long time have I watched. All his life he has looked away to the future, the horizon. Never his mind on where he was, what he was doing. Adventure, excitement. A Jedi craves not these things. Obi-Wan says, so was I, if you remember. And Yoda says, he is too old. Yes, he's too old to begin the training. And Luke says, but I've learned so much. And Yoda says, 
Will he finish what he begins? And Luke says, I, I won't fail you. I'm not afraid. And Yoda says, oh, you will be. You will be. I remember watching that. Uh, and I, I didn't actually get to see this. I didn't even watch Star Wars probably until I guess it was 2012 or so. And when I watched that, I said, oh, man, that's, exact, that's exactly what happens. You know, that scene at, at Dagobah uh, when he's going to have to face his father and, uh, you know, in your journey. So, I mean, I, I think that the Lord, when he's wanting to work out our exterior qualities, is kind of how he put it. It's like, well, you're going to carry water and chop wood. But when I want to work at your interior qualities, you know, uh, you know, he tells me, you know, I've had you pick up sticks and stones because I really want to develop your speech and I want it to be speech that pleases me in the way that you talk to others and the way I'm going to develop you. And I'm, I'm not saying that maybe that's the way he develops you, but I'm sure if I understand something about the Lord, that inside of this black box or these 12 phases uh, that Jim Collins is talking about is this beautiful story that you're on. And I, I really want you to like, submit to uh, the mundane. I, I want to encourage you to because, uh, you know, it could decrease the time frame that you're on in your developmental process. I mean, you can extend your process where you can get to what God's called you to do. You know, some people, it waited 20 years for their calling. Moses waited 40 years before he was released. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, 25 years you know, I'm all about shrinking space time. So I'm like, if you can shrink that thing down and get it done, you know, let's get it done. Um, it's, it's better to get it done sooner than later. Well, you know what ends up happening? And not too long after this, one of the mornings I wake up, because first of all, the Lord, he's just like really wants to encourage us that he sees us. And... Uh, we were replacing the floor in the subfloor in our home. Our home was like in such bad condition that we had to cut even the four girders out and replace them and replace our walls because water had come in and damaged the whole the inside of the house and the walls almost up like four or five feet. And all of it had to be cut out and replaced. And um, so we had put down subflooring and we're basically wiring the house and going through it and living in it at the same time we're doing reconstruction one part of the house is you know still somewhat together and the rest of it's not together and i remember one night and i'm, I'm pretty particular about things like this i had uh the sub four had been put in place and i went and took a vacuum and vacuumed up everything on the sub floor and uh to make sure before we went to bed that, you know, there's no nails or anything or uh, one of the kids aren't going to hurt their uh, toes or get a splinter or something like that. And, uh, you know, we go to bed and wake up the next morning and I go into the kitchen area where the new sub floor has been put in and I look down and I see this like round coin and, and I picked it up and now you got to understand this. Nobody's been in the house. Uh, this, this round copper looking color coin is sitting on the floor right there when I walk in and it's it's the next day so I, I pick it up and I look at it and I'm like what is this and uh, so I went online and looked up 
this coin. And uh, to, my, to my surprise, I have in my possession a widow's mite. And, and man, it was like, it was so surreal because it was like the Lord just comes in, I mean, right there. And I'm like, Jesus, you made a widow's mite appear on my sub floor in the, in the middle of the winter after receiving this. I think it was right after Manny, you know, Manasseh was born to show me that you see. And I don't know if you know the story, but you probably know it in scripture, but the Pharisees, you know, were in the temple uh, precincts and they, you know, paid their tithe and they were given their money. And this little widow comes through and all she has is two mites and she puts the two mites in and, um, and Jesus basically tells this story and says, you know, they put in, they put in a little bit of what they have. But she put in all that she had. I tell you, I just, I was so touched because I knew that he saw that our life, even though it looks so really pathetic, you know, and painful. And, you know, I lost all my wealth and we had give up everything to follow Jesus and say yes to him and, and to unpack now, you know, now I know this to give to you, uh, this 12 phases to bless you with so that uh, because we're going to see him in the air soon and that he saw us and I and I want to encourage you that when you're doing the mundane and when you think that nobody's looking that there's one who is you know you have a father in heaven and he's watching what you're doing and sometimes you know in his in his sovereign grace he's going to open up something even in the natural dimension and say, you know what I see? I see that you're on point with what I'm doing and I want you to just pay attention to that one little task I've called you to every day. I want you to be faithful in it. Well, I think that's enough for the, for uh, this podcast. And let's just close in prayer as as you uh, and I uh, embrace Jesus in, in the realm of the unseen. Jesus, first of all, I mean, I don't think anybody really got you. You are the king of glory who comes into like this little space in Bethlehem that doesn't count it robbery to be equal with God, but made yourself of no reputation. You came in our form, in our likeness. And Lord, you you put on humanity you're amazing, Lord. And I think we're all just sort of like surprised at the presentation of who you are, how you were presented, that you you came to the most basis place, even homeless, and and entered into our realm and our world. And we're just, I mean, we're so grateful to you that you didn't uh, shame us because we didn't look as good as you look in glory. You didn't look down on us. You said, I'm going to redeem you and restore you. I'm going to make you something that you can never be. I, I want you to look like me. I want you to have my character. I want you to see the enemy's devices. I don't want you to seek fame and glory. And I, I want you to build something with me. I want you to, I, I want you to know that I see you. And 
I want to put a seed inside of you. I want to impregnate you with the gospel. I want to give you my word. Lord, we want to take your word and hold it as the most precious to us. And Lord, when that word comes and the cross comes and the the rub comes for all of us, Lord, may we just embrace your path, your, your way. Lord, that that will give you the most glory, that resurrection life, that that seed is going to come to life. And, but it's, it's got to come through these places of trial and difficulty. And Lord, I just pray it's a day you give everyone under the sound of my voice wisdom to say, you know what? I'm signing up again for the unseen. I'm signing up again because I know you see. I'm signing up again for my prayer room, my prayer closet. I'm signing up again for the orphan and the widow. I'm signing up again to keep myself unspotted from the world. I'm signing up again to set my heart and my focus on you. When I'm not seeking my own glory, but I'm seeking your glory alone. Lord, we thank you and we just pray that you cause an expansion to come in our hearts of your mechanism and your way, the way of the gospel. We uh, bless you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Oh
beautiful.